For as long as I've known the NBA, it's been a stars league. But even among the stars, there's an exclusive club. Russell, Dr. J, Jordan, Kobe. They're all part of a select group that paved the way for the NBA superstar of today. And some even shared secrets with each other along the way. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Jackie McMullen, and this is the Icons Club. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello, welcome to The Town. I'm Matt Bellany. I'm a founding partner of a media company called Puck, and I cover the inside conversation in Hollywood. I write a newsletter called What I'm Hearing. This podcast is the extension of that newsletter. Today, we're going to dive deep into Netflix, everybody's favorite topic. Netflix is exploring, eliminating, or at least curtailing password sharing. So you're probably going to have an awkward conversation with your college roommate or your ex-girlfriend or that mom at your kid's soccer game who just asked for that one little thing. Password sharing may be coming to an end. We're going to get into that with Julia Alexander, who's the senior media analyst at Parrot Analytics. She is very smart about all things streaming and has some great perspective. We'll also talk a little bit about whether you can actually create a movie franchise on Netflix or any streaming service. I have some thoughts on that. I really don't think you can at this point, but I am happy to be wrong. Uh, Netflix is certainly spending billions of dollars to try to prove me wrong. But first, as with everything in Hollywood, to get to the main attraction, you got to sit through some previews. Uh, let's talk about a couple little news stories briefly. AMC, the movie theater company with a CEO who has become a meme god. He was on the verge of bankruptcy last year during the pandemic. All of a sudden, these retail investors on Robinhood and everywhere else started buying AMC stock. It went through the roof. The guy capitalized on that, first of all, by selling a bunch of shares and making himself rich, which uh, I think is a little bit shady. But he's also now gotten into the gold mining business. Yes, a theater company has bought a gold mine in Nevada. Craziest deal I've seen in a long time. Why is a theater company buying gold mining? No idea. People, analysts have said it makes absolutely no sense. He's basically pimping out his own services as someone who can artificially inflate a stock price by going nuts on Twitter and telling the AMC apes to buy this new company, which lo and behold is exactly what happened the day the deal was announced. Um, so yes, 
That's the state of the economy in 2022. A theater company owns a gold mine and is basically value adding by telling people to buy the stock. Uh, that probably won't last, but here's where we are. Speaking of stocks and speaking of ridiculous deals, it was also announced yesterday that David Zasloff, the CEO of Discovery, has a compensation package that I hope you're sitting down, $249 million for 2021. He is, yes, more valuable than all but a handful of NFL quarterbacks. And this is just a comp for one year. You know, if you're Patrick Mahomes, you got to play out the rest of your 13-year deal to get to the $500 million or whatever he's supposedly going to get after that. Zaslov is getting a comp package. Yes, it's mostly stock, but $250 bucks. Not bad for running a media company if everybody out there thinks that you got to go into the tech industry to become a, a super wealthy uh, master of the universe these days. You can still do it in media, still do it in entertainment. You just got to be the CEO of a company that is willing to pay you an obscene amount of money. Uh, all right, let's get into Netflix with Julia. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Julia Alexander. She is a senior media analyst at Parrot Analytics, um, a data firm that looks at entertainment and media consumption in the streaming age. Julia, the day has come. We have <laughs> finally seen the headline. Netflix is going to crack down on password sharing. That means all of my family members are now on notice. My Netflix account may not be theirs for very much longer. Tell me what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I, for one, am uh, shocked. I hope people can understand the sarcasm that Netflix is finally realizing there is a bucket of potential revenue that they're missing out on, or they have known this. Uh, they've known this, and now they're figuring out ways to do it. So the TLDR on what's happening is um, in three South American countries, or Latin American countries, um, Netflix is going to institute this crackdown, which will show the primary account holder um, hey, someone's trying to stream this. They're not in your household, which I assume they'll be, they'll do via IP address stuff. Um, they can be added to the account or they can stream and they can do it for about one quarter of the price of what you're currently spending. So if you're spending 15 bucks on an account, they can be added for like two, three bucks, four bucks, um, and then they get access to Netflix. This feels like a long time coming. And I, I'm gonna, I am going to go out on a limb and say this feels like not a bad way to go about it. Instead of making everyone sign up for an account, it's, hey, we know you want to use this. We know you may not want to spend, you know, 10 to $15 for a Netflix account. But what if we offer it to you for 2 to $3? Like, are you willing to come in and buy it at that point? Um, but it's an experiment. That's what they keep saying with all Netflix things. It's, it's an experiment. We'll see if they if it works and if they bring it elsewhere. But for now, it's only um, for in, in, very local, in very specific countries. Why, why do you think they chose those countries? Is the sharing that much rampant in those three Latin American countries or is it just random or, you know, what do you think is going on? So the sharing definitely happens uh, more in Latin America. Um, I have that anecdotally. We've seen it in data. It, you know, I was just tweeting about this and a bunch of people who are in kind of Brazil and Argentina, different places were saying like there's all, the, you know, our countries only do peer to peer streaming. Um, it's a big deal here. Um, and we, and then we share, we, someone has an account and we share. I think more importantly though, if we look at um, fiscal year 2021, LATAM had the um, second slowest growth behind UCAN. So UCAN is- Wait, wait, wait say what Canada. that is. Say, 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 say that again with no acronyms. Okay, got it. Um, if we look at Netflix's fiscal 2021 year, Latin America had the second slowest growth behind the United States and Canada. Um, the Asia Pacific region and Europe 
and Middle East brought in the majority of their growth. And so I think Netflix is in this moment where Netflix is like, one, we're not necessarily growing as fast as we want in Latin America. Two, we know that people in Latin America don't necessarily want to spend 10 to $15 on these streaming services the way that people in the United States and Canada tend to be a little bit more okay with it, where they'll spend more on different streaming services. Um, Latin America also tends to be mobile-focused, so it gets harder to sell them on these premium plans where it's where they tend to be a little bit more pricey. So I think Latin America, for them, is a way to very safely determine whether or not there is interest in this type of pricing strategy um, without worrying about major levels of churn, meaning that people cancel, uh, in a way that doesn't cause a shitstorm of bad press where everyone is suddenly saying, you know, cancel your Netflix account, this is what's going to happen. Um, and three, gives them meaningful insight into whether or not this could work not only in Latin America, but also in India, if they can bring this to other countries where they have slow subscriber growth, where they want people to use their, uh, to, to figure out a way to come into the the, the streaming service somehow. Um, that makes more sense to me than trying to make do it in the United States and Canada, where you are maybe hitting your saturation point and you have 75 million paid households, but the people are paying. The churn rate is real, is extremely low compared to all the others in the industry. So why mess with it there, especially when they're bringing in the bulk of your revenue? Instead, go somewhere else, figure it out, and then bring it to the United States and Canada if the data suggests that there is a market for it. Yeah, it's just Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru right now. I mean, I think there's a an interesting, like, kind of embarrassment test here because I think a lot of people have no problem glomming onto other people's Netflix accounts. But if they come to you and say, oh yeah, you're going to have to pay now. And you know, you, you're the person you're glomming on will know that you're having to pay. Like maybe that that will cause you to get your act together and maybe pay for the full service. I, I, don't, I don't know about that, but um, it, it, I know a lot of people who have no problem just using someone's password, but are they going to be added to that pe to that person's kind of family plan? Probably not. <laughs> I think there's also this mentality. Well, one, we're in this moment where Netflix is embracing things they would not have embraced five years ago. They well, they're, they're under pressure. I mean, exactly. let's be honest; they're under pressure to grow subscribers because they're they're slowing, and the stock market is just absolutely hammering the stock because they're 222 million worldwide. And the number that they are projecting for this quarter is not great. Exactly. So they have this pressure to do it. So, you know, for the first time ever, they're kind of saying like, never say never to advertisements, which was something they previously said never to. Um, they are now in this moment where they're finally trying to crack down on on um, password sharing, which was a thing that Reed Hastings said, we just want people to find our content. And they're at a moment where they're like, people are finding our content, they're not paying for it. And I think also just from a tech perspective, when we look at other companies that kind of allow for these types of, you know, you can buy into this and you can add another person for whatever, people already kind of do this where they're like, I want to be on a Nintendo family plan and I'm just going to, you know, people have a Venmo group. I know with YouTube TV, that's like people pay 10 bucks each to get into a plan. And so the idea that if like YouTube TV was like, well, we're going to add, you know, a primary holder and then they can add $10 per person for whatever they want to add, people would do it. There's a lot of people who are like, I don't want to pay for this myself, but I'm willing to go in on it with someone else. Sure. Um, and if we want to add more people for a discounted price, that makes sense. So I think that's the rationale. And it makes more sense for me, uh, to me, I should say, than them just automatically saying, okay, we are cracking down. You have to go get a whole other um, account because we don't know. That's the other thing, you know, talking about embarrassment. We don't know if people will actually pay for Netflix. That's the question they're trying to figure out. Is the demand there enough for people to go, oh, cool? Or are or are they like, no, I'm good with HBO Max, I'm good with Hulu, I'm good with Amazon, like, I'm fine. 
Yeah, that gets me to this second question as to whether Netflix can actually launch a meaningful franchise. And by franchise, I mean an enduring property that people talk about that, you know, can spawn spinoffs and sequels and, you know, something that 20 years down the road is going to be a valuable property. And because Netflix is such a fire hose of content and people watch stuff just sort of almost brainlessly. They look at the top 10 and like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. I, I don't I don't think Netflix has really proven itself, especially in film and even in television, as being able to have this kind of long-lasting franchise uh, creation that is so vital to the entertainment industry. And even this, you know, this movie, The Atom Project, that came out this past week, Ryan Reynolds, uh, director Sean Levy, like that's a big budget kind of, traditional Hollywood-style time travel movie. Um, the streaming numbers for Adam Project were pretty big this past week, yet do you know anybody who actually talked about it or cares about it or feels any kind of a connection to it at all? No, I don't know one person, and I think to give listeners background on myself, huge, 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 huge nerd, spend all my time in like different fandom communities on Tumblr and TikTok and all these other different websites. So I'm in like that space where if my friends weren't necessarily going to talk about it or people in the industry weren't going to talk about it, there would be some discussion. Like people would be like, I watched this movie. It's very Steven Spielberg because everything Sean Levy does kind of feels very Amblin. Like it's, 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 you know, I want to talk about it. I didn't see one conversation. I didn't see one person say like, oh, this movie, I can't wait to see, you know, what they do next. Or I can't, you know, I have to recommend it. You have to go and watch it. And a big thing with streaming is this earned media that they're getting from their own competitors. When Reed Hastings talks about, you know, TikTok's a competitor, TikTok can also be Netflix's greatest ally. If TikTok's like, hey, I watched the show, um, you know, Brand New Cherry Flavor, which was a weird show that came out a few months ago, and TikTok was obsessed with it, and we kind of saw that affect the demand for the show, that can be a great tool for Netflix. I mean, look what happened with Encanto for Disney. Exactly. I mean, that movie did okay in theaters. It gets on Disney+. Plus, and then the TikTok memes start up with, we don't talk about Bruno. All of a sudden, it's not only the, you know, makes the Nielsen top 10 for streaming movies, but it, the song is number one on the Billboard chart. Exactly. And we saw it with Squid Game. Squid Game was a thing in Roblox, which again is another competitor that um, Reed Hastings has called out. And that helped with the show. Like they, they, they're competitors in terms of time and consumption, but they're not competitors in terms of, well, this is the only thing I'm going to do. I also want to check this out. When we think of like Netflix films and, and specifically I, the two I have in mind really are The Adam Project and um, Red Notice, which came out in November, also with Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, Dwayne Johnson, big action movie. It's very much of a Netflix effect moment where and I can see this in the data that we have at our firm where it spikes. There's definitely like a first weekend, maybe second weekend spike. And then it just disappears. Like no one is like cares about it. No one is engaging with it. And I think if you're- Do Netflix, you remember a single thing that happened in Red Notice? <laughs> like not at all. The only thing I remember is that The Rock plugged his tequila for like two minutes. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. But honestly, but that's the problem with Netflix is that it's such a passive experience and people just kind of have it on that I just don't know that the franchise creation is happening. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be sequels. I mean, they've right. said they're going to do a sequel to Red Notice and they're doing another extraction with Chris Hemsworth, another movie that was big on Netflix. Um, but it, it just remains to be seen whether these movies are meaningful beyond just the time it takes to watch them. 
I think what we run into as well when we talk about as an industry, when we talk about Netflix movies, we immediately go like, you know, Red uh, red Notice, excuse me, Adam Project lands at number one, number two, number three, and has, I think it was like 52.3 million estimated completed views. We don't know, but we can, you know, we'll assume that people watch that. Um, those are impressive numbers. Except that we don't, like, it's almost to be expected with Netflix when you have 221 million subscribers. Like, that is something, or I think 226 now, that is something where anything that you put on the homepage, and if you let it dominate the homepage, people are going to watch. Like, it's something that they're automatically going to click into because you have the size for it. So I think with the question with a lot of these movies is like, you know, did Adam Project work for Netflix or did Netflix work for the movie? And I think that's an important question because when we look at some of the bigger I mean, these are acquisitions, but if we look at, you know, the franchises that came from Marvel and DC, you know, did those, did those work for Disney and Warner Brothers or did the Disney and Warner Brothers work for them? No, no, no. Those franchises absolutely worked for those companies. It was like, we're going to go out, we can make these movies and now we're doing pretty successful stuff with it. And I hate bringing up Marvel and DC because every executive I talk to hates when you bring up Marvel and DC because they're like, yes, we're aware. Like that's the thing. And we're trying to compete outside of it. How do we mm-hmm. become something that competes alongside uh, for attention? And with Netflix, when you have a new movie every other day, practically, it's hard for people to think like, oh, yeah, this is something I'm going to spend my time on. This is something I care about. This is something that's worth my attention. They might watch it while they're cooking or folding laundry. They might watch it and pass out and they're kind of like, I don't feel like I have to watch it. Like, it's cool. I didn't pay anything for it. So this idea of like a free movie you get with your streaming subscription that you watch when you're maybe bored or if you're going to make it your Friday night stream, whatever it might be, does not have the same foundational value to me as someone who's saying, I'm going to go spend $16, sit in a movie theater during COVID uh, to go and watch this movie. And and the marketing, there's no marketing attached. I mean, I think a lot of the value creation of these franchises are the $50 million marketing campaigns around them. And that's why we saw Netflix do an actual marketing campaign for Red Notice. And I think it did pop a little bit more in the culture because of that. Now, and and I don't want to be unfair to Netflix here. I mean, they are creating real properties that people do talk about. I mean, I think Halloween last year with all the annoying Squid Game tracksuits is evidence that Mm -hmm. their shows do get into the culture. And Squid Game, obviously, the numbers were gigantic worldwide. But when you're talking about a long-term franchise, this is why Netflix, they, they look at 28 days of viewership. That is their metric as to whether something is a success or not, because they know that just putting it on the homepage or getting it into that top 10, you they can juice those numbers to begin with. And it's whether the audience sticks around for that month-long first you know, out-of-the-gate period, that's what they look at to see if, if something is a success. And Netflix has this thing called an efficiency rating, which for Netflix, I, I, I mean, a I always thought of it basically as their return on investment like thing. It's like, you know, does this make sense for what we're investing in? And Netflix has movies where the ROI seems like it's there and they, in part because they cost less, but the actual like attention that's being spent on it and the demand for it is very palpable. The Fear Street movies that they did, that like that, the three horror movies that they did back to back, there was actual conversation about those. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a thing that appeared on like my Twitter and my TikTok and um, Reddit and a bunch of other places for like a week, a week and a half after it came out. And that was pretty surprising to me um, just because it's whatever. I mean, these, you know, that's like an established franchise, but it's a Ryan Reynolds movie with Mark Ruffalo. And it's, you've got, it's a huge sci-fi movie. You got uh, the director of Free Guy and the Stranger Things behind it. And yet there's not, there's nothing about it. And I think 
part of the issue that Netflix runs into is that Netflix is in itself created this idea of like the Netflix effect where this is something, I don't know if I have to watch it right now, or maybe I do, but I don't know if it's going to be good because I don't know if these other movies, like I don't, ah, like I don't care. I think that's the thing. It's like a very meh moment for a lot of Netflix movies. Now I want to say like, Easier said than done to create a franchise. If everyone could create Star Wars, they would have. Like, you know, it's it's extremely difficult to do. But I do think with Netflix, with, without giving these movies the room to breathe, when, without giving them, like, the ability to point people to and say, like, hey, we think this is something really special. We think this is something that we really want to focus on. And we hope that you take time to watch it, not just now, but, like, continue having discussions about it. Everything just gets lost in the algorithmic shuffle. Yeah, and I think theaters are a big component that we're not talking about, but it still remains to be seen if you can create a film franchise that has lasting length without movie theaters. All right, thank you, Julia. This has been a great conversation. Julia is a senior media analyst at Parrot Analytics. Uh, you can also follow her on Twitter at Loudmouth Julia. Uh, I don't think you're a loudmouth. You're smart. Oh, you. You're smart. You're smart. <laughs> Talk as much as you want if you say good things. Uh, all right, thank you, Julia. Thanks, Matt. All right, before we get out of here, this wouldn't be a show on the Ringer Podcast Network without a hot take, without a prediction. So I'm going to bring on producer Craig here every episode, and I will be firing at him a surefire, 100% probable Hollywood prediction of the day. Craig, you there? Hit me. I'm ready. All right. I think by the end of 2022, Netflix is going to dramatically reduce the number of original movies it's making each year. Right now, it's between 70, 80, and that to me, is just an insane number of original movies to be making. Um, they have already kind of signaled this. Scott Stuber did an interview with the New York Times where he basically said, you know, maybe, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here, maybe let's just make the good ones, maybe not make some of the bad ones. Um, he got a lot of shit for that because obviously everyone tries to make good movies. But I think what that's going to mean is Netflix is going to pull back a little. They're already making noises about curtailing some of the content spend, um, at least um, as compared to previous years where it was just, you know, whatever, make as much as we can. I think probably 50 makes sense. I mean, it's still way more than any other studio is making these days. Um, 50 movies, originals, and you know a lot of those are going to be foreign language and local language stuff in different countries but i think i think that makes more sense uh we'll see thanks matt i haven't seen a relevant netflix movie in years <laughs> wow i picked you as a big to all the boys i've loved before fan not yet but there's still time there's still time <laughs> all right thank you thank you to julie alexander thank you to craig horlbeck our producer and thanks to you for listening we'll be back tomorrow i'm matt bellany this is the town This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.